Blog Talk Radio. I just danced. I just called to test Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird. Travel through time and space. So much to learn. So much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network and we're going to spotlight one of my favorite books for 2022, the award-winning book, It's News to Me, by R.G. Belsky, Dick Belsky. Good morning, Dick. How are you? Hey, Fran. How are you? Good morning. Oh, hanging in there. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, I oh. almost didn't. I don't know. I had a little trouble getting on, but uh, um, since I'm your only guest, I figured I had to be here, so uh, here I am. Are you okay to do this? Uh, yeah, no, I'm fine. Oh, good. My my computer is very sensitive. It hates people, and me too. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I interviewed somebody yesterday. When I came home, the computer unlogged me, and I, had a, I wanted to cry. Yes. And then, of course, your review it liked. It didn't make it disappear. It only made the questions disappear, but they were on my notepad. I'm telling you, it's, it's crazy. So, Wiley Hunt is murdered. Not nice. A student at Easton College in Manhattan is brutally murdered, and that becomes a big story for my favorite journalist, Claire Carlson. So tell us a little bit about this book, because this one's really making it wide and very popular. Um, Yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing kind of better to write about, I find, in a mystery than a, you know, a sensational murder. And, uh, you know, I've, uh, as people who know me uh, know, I've spent a lifetime as a journalist in New York City working for the tabloids, uh, the New York Post, the New York Daily News, and then NBC, and we're also working at NBC. And uh, I've covered a lot of uh, big murders. And, um, you know, those are the stories that, you know, make the headlines and make the TV ratings. And, you know, it's it's not, mm. it's sometimes very sad and tragic, but that is, but is the truth of it. And, uh so when it came time to do uh, this book, this is the fifth in the Claire Carlson series, I, uh, you know, I tried to think of the most um, sensational murder I could, uh, you know, kind of think of, and uh, it involved a young college student, a woman who's brilliant and beautiful and has everything, and then is just killed for apparently what appears to be for no reason on the streets of New York, and as. Uh, as, you know, you live in the New York area, and you know uh, mm-hmm. there's been an awful lot of crime like that in New York recently, yep. which is just random crime, people being killed for no reason, and which is terrible. But, um, you know, of course, that doesn't make a very interesting book. And so when Claire starts looking into it and doesn't accept the police version, uh, she finds out there's a whole story, a, a whole backstory there that uh, led to this, uh, to this, uh, to, to, to the Riley Hunt uh, murder. So, you know, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting book to write. And like a lot of the books I do, well, like all the books I do, I do a lot of, uh, you know, settings that I'm familiar with in New York City. And, and this book is mm-hmm. set a lot down in uh, Greenwich Village down, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the college, the college is called Easton College, but anybody who knows New York will, will recognize, you know, that it's very similar to NYU on Washington Square Park. And so, you know, that's a incredible neighborhood and campus and, 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 you know, area of New York. And, uh, so I, I, that's where I set the book. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was interesting, you know, too, to be, to be, because I've, I, I've written about a lot of areas in New York, but I, I don't, I hadn't really focused a book on, uh, you know, the Washington Square Park, Greenwich Village area of New York. And, and that's such a, such a terrific area. That is interesting. Now this really got me. How did you, the prologue, how did you create the prologue and let us know that Raleigh knows her killer? 
And then you have uh, an inter- interesting thing called opening credits. God, I couldn't yeah. put this book I down. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if I'm if <laughs> I don't know if I actually mean that they know it. She kind of no. she becomes yeah. aware of what's happening to her. Yeah. Uh and uh, you know, generally in all my Claire books, which is not unusual, uh I do a prologue which is a kind of on the point of view of the the actual yeah. crime, which is in this case it's the victim. Uh, the, all my books are written um in the first person through Claire. So that's really the only passage. That that prologue is basically the moment where she dies, and we see sort of her murder through her eyes. Um, uh, but uh, it's pretty vague, um, and uh, I, 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 will, I will I will tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you how vague it is. When I wrote the prologue, I didn't know who killed her. So there you go. <laughs> mm. You know, because I kind of write as I go along, and. Uh, so uh, whether she knew the killer or not, uh, I didn't really know the answer to who killed her, uh, because there's uh, obviously a lot of um, a lot of suspects that pop up through the uh, through, through the book. I know. So I hope I, hope I didn't. I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't ruin that for you. But it, no, it wasn't planned no. out like like this wonderful bit of genius, uh, because I wrote the prologue first, and then I and then I wrote the book. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes people write things differently, and then, you know, sometimes there are authors that tell me that they write the ending first, and I have no problems writing the title. What can I say? <laughs> I've never so, I've never written the ending first, but um, uh, I, I, I don't know. We may have talked about this on another show yeah. uh, a while back, but one thing I have found myself doing more and more, uh, and I've written a lot of books now. This is... I think my 20th uh, published book. Wow. So you change, you know, and this is over a period of years, and, you, you know, you change the way you write. But one of the things that I've um, I've been doing recently is writing uh, out of order. In other words, traditionally an author writes a mystery, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and, you mm-hmm. know, tells the story in order. And I used to do that. Um, but I find now that I kind of write, I sort of compare it a little bit to like a movie script, you know, like, like when somebody's shooting a movie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, if they're, they're not, um, they don't, they don't shoot the scenes in order. So you might have a love scene or you might have mm-hmm. an action scene on the streets of New York and you shoot that and then you piece the movie together. And I do some of that now. And I did some of that in this book where I would shoot, I would, I would like, like I would know. I wanted to have some romantic scene with Claire, you know, with with this mm. guy that she's involved with in the book, and uh, I would uh, I would write that chapter and not knowing exactly where it was going to appear, and then you know later you you kind of piece it together in in order, and uh, so. Um, so yeah, no, it it isn't always. I've never written the ending first, but but a lot of the chapters in between, um, I find myself you know uh, moving them around. Well, I'm glad you don't write in timelines because I'm reading a book now by whatever the author is that's in five timelines, and I'm supposed to remember all of them. I do. Oh, you mean jumping around, jumping around in time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one is 1947. One is 1914. Then they go to 1930. I go like, why are you doing this to me? Well, I got the point. I, I yeah, hate the, I, I find hate that it. confusing too uh, in yeah. books. I think uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't really write books like that. Um, yeah, but I know me I, too. When I'm reading a book, um, if it jumps around in time, I mean, there's a way of doing it. It can be done well, but uh, a lot of times it'll be confusing, especially if you're if it's being written from different viewpoints too. So you'll have different timelines, yeah. different viewpoints, and there there are times in books you just sort of say like, "Wait a minute, where, who, where, who, what, where, where am I now? What's what's going on?" You know exactly. Uh, yeah, and I don't. Uh, so I'm not a no. I'm not. I've ne- I'm not a fan of that in books I read. Although you know, every once in a while you. But again, I think you have to keep it. You, you have to keep it pretty, um, pretty simple. Because if you if you jump, I I don't know. Like when I'm reading, if I jump around too much, I I kind of lose. I get distracted. But when I'm writing, I, I you know I'm a very I, I want to say a simple writer. I mean I write in in one one point of view the 
the, the the main character. I don't have multiple points of view. I don't really do flashbacks or anything like that. I don't think in any of my books. If I do, it's kind of no. like, you know, Claire remembering something. But I don't, you know, I don't suddenly have a chapter where Claire is, you know, 12 years old or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. So, uh, uh, but that's just the way I write. I mean, and again, I tend to write my books the way I like to read books. That's just a personal thing, you know. So yeah. people say to me, like, why do you write? I said, well, I kind of write, I try and write the kind of book that I would like to read, you know. And uh, and the kind of book I like to read is, is relatively straightforward, and, and I don't have to... I don't have to work a lot at, at at following where I where I am in it. I just write a book from the dead person's point of view, so I get angry, I kill him. It makes it so much easier. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they can't and they can't sue you if anything goes, you know, you say anything bad about it. Well, yeah. Now this is the part that upset me. <coughs> no, seriously, I did. I read this and I go like, why did he do this to me? Farron was my one of my favorite people. So you decide that he loses his job as executive producer, and you got this witch. She's horrible, Susan Endicott, and we know right away that my Claire is not going to like her. Right. So how come you did this, and my Claire, who I partial to, yeah. doesn't yeah. like Susan Endicott, and her goal, Susan Endicott, is not exactly the same as Jack Barron. So how come you did that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it's funny because... Uh, all the way back when you first read uh, this book, which was quite a while ago now, um, uh, the first thing you told me was how much you hated the, the new executive producer. <laughs> yeah, and, I quit. Uh, oh God, I can't stand her. Yeah, She's well, evil. you know, and as I said, that was the that is that kind of was the goal to make her so unlikable. And uh, oh, I've been asked this question by a number of people. Uh, some people who uh, don't like her but like the idea of her. Uh, I guess the answer, and I, I did think about this before I did it. So for people who aren't familiar with the series, in the first four books, uh, Claire has a, a boss who is a guy named Jack Fallon who is yeah. uh, like a mentor of hers. And he had like got her into TV. And, you know, they, they have some go-arounds. But basically she likes him. She respects him. He's like this good guy. And um, one of the problems with writing a series is you – you, you have the same character, and you have a lot of the same, you know, side characters, like her friends and co-workers. But, you know, as the series goes on, you have to make some changes. Otherwise, it just becomes the same, the same thing. Or at least I like to make some changes without changing the basic structure of mm-hmm. Claire's life. And uh, I just thought, well, what could I do? And I thought... You know, she has this really comfortable relationship with her boss, and uh, that's all nice, but what if I just blew that up and made it, like, really uncomfortable? And so I tried to create the most, uh, you know, obnoxious, unpleasant, uh, in some ways not good boss that I could uh, do. (laughs) And I also made her a woman, which... uh, which which kind of also hurts Claire because a lot of what Claire did with her boss was because he was a man, she could get away with stuff, you know, she would say cute stuff and he would, like, laugh. And with a woman, with this woman, she does not put up with any of Claire's, you know, like, antics. And uh, so I just thought it was it would be an entirely different dynamic. And, and the one thing about this, and she really truly is a pretty horrible person, and a lot of people said um, – not a lot of people, but one of the people said, oh, I can't imagine anybody in a position like that being that horrible. And, uh, and I said, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, because basically, um, I, I, you know, as a journalist, I worked with a lot of really great editors in my time, but there, there were a few clunkers along the way. And uh, so I combined, you know, some of the qualities of the worst editors I ever worked with and uh, made, made Susan Endicott. And, and, you know, you're not, you're not going to want to hear this, uh, Fran, but uh, I think you did ask me this the other day, but I just finished the next Claire, which is Claire 6, which won't be out for like another year, and uh, and uh, and Suzanne Endicott is still her boss, so, you know, it's it's kind of fun writing the uh, the back and forth between uh, Claire and uh, and uh, Susan Endicott, so I'm, I'm glad I did it. It wasn't easy, it wasn't an easy decision to do, but um, 
but once I did it, I I I, I think it I think it it just showed a different side of Claire and put her in a, in a bit of a different position. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, I hope it's interesting. That's all. And if you hate if you hate the woman that much, I think I've done my job because that's kind of the idea. She reminds me of the last principal I worked for. That's why I retired. Yeah, yeah. She yeah, didn't care well, about the kids or anything, and I. I have a big mouth like her, so what can I say? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Wiley Hunt, and why does Claire jump on this murder, the murder, the murder of the great story, and what was missing that was odd, and tell us about her mother and father. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, you know, again, I don't, you know, without giving away too much of what happens. Um, no. Uh, so Riley Hunt is like this theoretically perfect college student she's like old, uh, and you know she dreams about being you know the first woman president she's got all these aspirations she's you know she's talented everybody loves her uh and seems to have this perfect life and she comes from what seems to be a really perfect family you know father and mother very successful in the midwest and uh uh you know, everybody believes uh, early on there's somebody uh, captured for her murder who turns out to be a um, an Afghan uh, a soldier who came American you know U.S. soldier came back from Afghanistan, but was screwed up and you know was went, was going through all kinds of of issues. Uh, it was in a veterans hospital and he was living on the streets in New York. And um, you know, again, the, the idea is it was just kind of like a, a crazy random murder on the streets of New York. But um, that's when, you know, when Claire starts looking into this and uh, number one, she begins to believe that the soldier really didn't do it. Uh, even though he's not, doesn't even know what he did because he's not really, you know, capable of knowing mm. what he what he might have done, but she begins to believe that um, he didn't do it, and then she begins looking into Riley Hunt's life, and then we find out that Riley Hunt is like much more complex, and uh, mm. uh, she's date at one point she's dating not only the son of a top police official, but she's also dating the son of a a mobster, you know. Yeah. Uh, she's buying drugs in uh, in uh, Washington Square Park, and then we find out she's working, making money on the side. As there's a picture of her as an escort in a, on a on a website like Tinder, you know, where she's uh, where guys are paying money to go out with her. So there's this whole uh, life of hers, which obviously brings up other possible suspects of people who might have uh, might have wanted her uh, might have wanted her dead and then and then as uh, as as Claire looks into this she also starts looking into Riley's family's background and discovers more stuff there mm. uh so you know and this is kind of the idea of a of a book like this it it starts out as what seems like a very simple murder but uh as <laughs> As I said, you know, like if it was a very simple murder, it wouldn't be a very interesting book. And so, as layer after layer is pulled off, it becomes a very complex case uh, with a lot of suspects. And, uh, uh, and and Claire, I mean, the only thing Claire knows for sure, or believes for sure, is that the person the police said did it didn't do it. And then she has to figure out who did it and 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 why. And she does, and you don't want to mess with my Claire. And, and you know, and Riley Hunt is a the, the Riley Hunt character is a big character in the book. Even though I like her. Sorry, she was dead. Yeah, so she she you know she dies in that in that uh, in that prologue, but uh, she's yeah. she's a big part of the book as as we go through because we get to know her, and, yeah. uh, and we get to know her as not just this kind of character of like the perfect girl, but as a real live person with uh, with the. Uh, with, with a lot of flaws, but also a lot of good points, and uh, and we want to know how she died and why. Too bad you can't bring her back from the dead. So sad. <laughs> well, only you can do that, Fran. You know. So. I, I I could bring her back for you, though. No. So you her mother is very odd. Her mother went to work the next day. That's weird. And what about yeah, her father? I, I mean, I mean, if that happened in a normal family. You'd be miserable. She didn't even seem to blink an eye. Yeah, I I I specifically did that early in the book because I wanted to uh, show um, that the mother was not. I don't want to say not normal, but didn't react normally. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like like on the day 
I mean, there's a there's an exchange I think where somebody said, well, you know, we went and talked to the father at the house, you know, the day after she was murdered. Well, where was the mother? Oh, she's a lawyer. She went to work, and somebody mm-hmm. said she went to work the day after her daughter is murdered, and, and then Claire, somebody says we all grieve in our own ways. But it, it turns out that is the case. I mean, and and I've known people like this who. Um, they show their grief in different ways. And, you know, as we get through the book, we find out it, the mother is not like some unfeeling thing who's like, oh, my daughter's dead. Who cares? I'm going to work. Uh, she's very much like we, at one point, Claire realized she's very much like like her, like Claire herself, because when Claire gets upset about anything, what she does is she throws herself into her work and she, you know, her mm-hmm. work is her kind of salvation. And uh, and the mother the mother, uh, it turns out, you know, reacts in different ways. But uh, her, when her reaction to her daughter dying was to go to work because that was the only thing that could make her feel like better was to throw herself into into the job. So it's not as it's not as harsh as it seems. Like in the beginning, mm-hmm. you, you think of this woman as oh, she's cold and and unfeeling. But um, like with Riley, uh, you know, one of the things that you know I try and do in the book is to uh, show that the mother, as well as Riley, um, is not a simple person. It's not very. It's not all straightforward. They, you know, they're all very. They, 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 they're very complex in terms of their lives and their backgrounds. And then we, we also discover, you know, more and more about the mother, including the fact that she had gone to Easton College. Uh, uh, before Riley, you know, like 20 years earlier or whatever. And uh, uh, so she has a whole history at the college too, which may or may not play into what happened to Riley years later. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's uh, you know, I try and have a, a lot going on there. It's a good thing I can remember all of it. And it's even better thing that I get sometimes, like I said to the author, I interviewed Adam Sykes yesterday, and we were talking about, People like you, thank God you don't do this, put a thousand characters in the book and then I have to read the character list. Then I have to get my graphic organizer out and figure out what is where. Now, this is interesting, people. This is a newspaper term that I learned about. Everybody should learn what a cold open is. To find cold open, and what did her boss, who I still can't stand, new boss, one how to do the change of the dynamics of her job and why, and Claire was not a happy camper. Yeah, cold open actually is not a newspaper term; it's a TV term. Um, and uh, no, yeah, it's uh, different. It, 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 it yeah. It, what cold open? What cold open is in TV is there's there's no introduction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the 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 best example of a cold open would be Saturday Night Live, the TV show. In other mm-hmm. words, uh, before you get any of the credits for Saturday Night Live, there'll there'll be a uh, uh, a skit or something. You'll see mm-hmm. somebody imitating Donald Trump or Joe Biden or somebody on the screen and then, <laughs> and then somebody will look at the camera and say, you know, it's from New York, it's Saturday night, you know, and uh, and then and then and then the credits will 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 roll. And that's that's what is referred to in T V as a cold open. So um mm. you know, I just uh, I think the idea was they would do a cold open on the news show, like with before mm-hmm. they did the you know the opening where you go you know and tonight's news with you know so and so on the news desk, they would go immediately to like an interview with the father of the dead girl and he would be talking mm-hmm. and then from there they would see it's time for the six o'clock news so that 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 is the uh, the term of cold open and because you know again because uh, Claire is a um, a TV newswoman. I try and uh, I try and uh, I try and use you know some TV terms in there. Uh, sometimes we, mm. I use newspaper terms because she also was a, uh, a a newspaper person. But uh, but no, a cold open is uh, is is it, you know it's a fairly common thing in uh, well, I say fairly common, but you know it's it's something that's used in in TV and and again. If you watch like Saturday Night Live, that that's that's the old that is the classic cold open right there. You know, I watch murder programs and vanish, and sometimes the death comes before you know what the heck who who it is. Yeah, those I've seen them scary. So but, you know, I just want to go back to one thing you said yeah. too. You know, you're talking about like some people have a thousand characters and everything, and that that yeah, that drives me crazy. Yeah, that's very. That's something that I'm. I, I'm very aware of when I write, and, and not you know not just the um, yeah. 
the number of characters, and I don't, I've never had that many characters, but uh, it, it's also a real challenge when you're writing a book to uh, to make sure that the characters are different, you know, because you can mm-hmm. have a couple characters, and, and there's a couple ways, there's a couple factors here, one of it which is, is a very simple one, which is the name. And, uh, you know, one of the rules I learned very early on as a writer, and I pretty much tried to do it, is you never want to have two characters that name starts with the same uh, letter or the same sound, mm-hmm. you know. So, like, if somebody is named Murphy, you don't want to have somebody named Malloy or Maccabee or something, you know, because, you know, when when, when, the, the, when the letter is the same, it's confusing. So if I have, you know, a Murphy, I change the name of the next guy to, you know, I don't know, Gilmore or something completely mm-hmm. different. Uh, and I almost never, I don't think you'll see in my books, you'll ever see a character with the letter starts the same. The other thing you have to be... Um, careful of is that the characters don't sound alike so yeah. you know it's one thing to have it's one thing to have Claire's character who's you know very very defined who Claire is and her mouth and all that stuff but the people around her um, you know to some degree they have to sound different because uh, otherwise you know like if she if you have two people at the station who sort of talk in the same kind of manner or tone, it gets a little confusing. So uh, I work hard at trying to make sure that everybody like at the station that she's working with sort of has a a unique personality that you, you know, you're not going to get confused. But what you said is, um, is, is, is something I think that is a problem. Uh, uh, something I'm aware of when I'm writing and something I've seen in other people's books, which is, you know, you you, you want to make the characters as simple, as identifiable as possible, um, because otherwise it can, it can really get uh, confusing. You know, and, and if you add that to jumping around in time and things like that, you know, those, those are all the things I try and avoid in my books. You know, I think my books are pretty straightforward and linear. You know? Well, it's a good thing that I have a good memory. I thought I'd be in big trouble. Now, this is this is important, people. Now, Claire is very loyal to the people that she likes on her staff. But this miserable yeah. witch, yes, she has this thing about firing staff, who and why, and Claire has to handle it. So how does Claire deal with the new boss and the fact that she wants her to fire things, and how does Farron, thank God he came back, help her? Is she going to come back or stay as a consultant? But meanwhile, Susan Endicott wants her to fire two of my favorite people, and Claire has to figure out a way to get around it. Yeah, well, nice. you know, and Claire Claire plays a lot of games. I mean, she does some delaying tactics, and she basically operates mm-hmm. on the theory that mm-hmm. um, – that, uh, if she can break a big story, then all the rest of the things will fall in place. So she kind of throws herself back into the story. Mm-hmm. But no, that's a that's an ongoing thing, and and it, it's interesting because it isn't even as Suzanne Endicott wants to fire people for cause. She just wants to fire people to shake things up. At one yeah. point, at one point, you know. So there's 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 two anchors, a husband and wife anchor on this show, um, and uh, you know, Britt and Danny are the two uh, are the two anchors. Britt's the guy, yeah, like and Danny them. is the woman. And uh, at one point early on, uh, Suzanne Cut says to Claire, "You know, you need to you need to fire you need to fire one of them." And Claire is like, "Why? You know, or which one? Which one did you want to? Why?" And uh, and at some point asks, "Which one she she, she doesn't like?" And uh, Susan Endicott's response is, I don't care if I read it or it doesn't matter, you know, just, just as long as we fire somebody. Because she just wants to shake things up. But, um, now, you know, one, one of the things about Claire that's important to me when I wrote, the, when I started the series and through the series, and again, this is because uh, I'm trying to write a character in a series like characters in series that I've loved in my life, is, is that she has to have a really strong moral sense. You know, she has to be a good person, Claire. You know, she can, she can mm. be a jerk and she can do stupid stuff and she can, you know, you know, mess up and all that. But bottom line, you know, you want to have that moral center to Claire who who will always do the right thing. And one of the right things she's going to, you know, always do is to protect the people that, you know, that work for her that she thinks are good. And so, 
yeah, I mean that's that's something I wanted to to play up, you know, and and you know I've I've talked about this a lot in the other interviews and stuff, but you know when I create Claire, I think of people like you know I mean not comparing me to the to the people that wrote these, but comparing the you know the kind of character I want, you know, and I go all the way back to you know Philip Marlowe, uh, you mm. know I go to like Spencer, I'll go to Bosch from Michael Conley. I'll even go to somebody like Jim Rockford on the Rockford Files TV show. All oh, of I love these people him. are flawed and are flawed characters, but they have this great moral center who always are going to do the right thing. And uh, that's, you know, that's always been key to me with, with Claire. So, um, yeah, when it comes to something like this, um, she's not going to just fire people to save her job. She's going to do whatever it takes. And that's not always easy. Um, but in this book, she has to kind of, you know, you know, delay it, kind of, you know, talk around it with the woman, and keep mm. telling the woman, oh, I'll, I'll look into it later, and all the while she's hoping, well, if I can break this big story, then this woman can't fire anybody because, you know, she can't fire me, and if she can't fire me, I don't have to fire the other people. So that's a, you know, it, as you know from my books, there's generally a, along with the murder story. Uh, there's always a, a drama going on at the station. And, and, you know, her versus this woman is, is you know, much of the drama at the station in, in this book. Well, if she decides to make you ugly crazy, you could always kill her off and Claire could take her job. What can I say? So, <laughs> you want to get so, rid of this woman, I know, but, you know. <laughs> I, I know too many people like her lately. So there's a couple of other people and I didn't even get to half the questions on this page. Um, tell us about Bruce Townsend and why his father seems to run the show. And what about Johnny Stefano? And why is his father, what makes way to threaten poor Claire? She said an innocent victim, poor thing. Yeah. Then we'll get to well, the roommate you know, afterwards. I, I, li- I always like, you know, one of the, you know, one of the greatest in, in most mystery novels, uh, one of the easiest things and the most fun to write about, well, there's two, and one is uh, police and police corruption, you know, yeah. and the other is uh, is mobsters. And uh, so I, I do both in this book. And like I said earlier, Claire has actually been seeing two different guys. And one is this guy, Townsend, who is the son of the deputy police commissioner and is a very, you know, presumably straight arrow and, and you know, they're, they're talking about marriage and all that. But at the same time, She's also had some kind of relationship with this John Stefano, who's the who's the uh, uh, of a mob guy. Now, he's a mob guy who's like um, like a like an acceptable one would say acceptable, but you know he's 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 somebody who is you know sort of prominent in the city. He's like on the boards of art clubs and you know gives donations to the college, which makes you know helps his son you know get in and everything like that. But he's but he's basically a mob guy, you know. He's basically an underworld leader mm-hmm. who puts up a a a a, a you know a, a normal front, but everybody knows that you know he's really uh, he's really uh, a mob guy. So uh, you know these these are just two these you know as you get into it, you're wondering well, why is Claire I'm sorry why is Riley Hunt with either of these two guys and, mm-hmm. and you know you eventually find out. Uh, the reasons, but I mean, she's playing. She's really playing with fire because she's um, mm. she's got two uh, boyfriends from very prominent, powerful people, families. Um, you know, completely, uh, completely opposite. And and okay, the, 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 the the one guy is very violent. You know, the monster's son is very violent, as as, as we see in the book. This is really scary. So now. We have her roommate, and why she tells her about Riley in two different ways, question mark. And how does she come across on the news, and then she goes to Wild Bill. Why does she go to her ex for help? I mean, really? What is wrong with you? And he likes her, too. You're, That's you're even talking, more. You're talking about Claire going to that guy, Wild Bill. Yeah. 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 Well, Claire, you know, Claire goes to... Claire will do anything that it takes to get a story. And go, we know that. The guys, uh, well, I don't mean like anything like sleep with people, but I mean she'll she'll yeah. go to people. I mean, you know, you don't you don't always get the stories you want by going to the people you like. Sometimes you have to go mm-hmm. to the people you don't like, and 
Claire, uh, Claire, yeah, Claire is willing to uh, to do anything. And and you know the other thing, but the, the other thing about Claire is that um, she really is, and you know, there's a romance in this book too. You know, and, and Claire really is a romantic. I mean, she's been married three times. She's got all these guys, mm. you know, that she's been with. But she really is always kind of looking for, you know, the right person and love, and she kind of believes that it'll all work out, and uh, it never really does for her, but she's always, you know, hoping for that and, 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 dreaming, and dreaming of that. But, um, you know, I like the fact that she has a very colorful uh, life and, 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 you know, romantic life, sex life. Uh, so she's been with a lot of, she's been with a lot of guys, uh, some of whom, like, like her, her ex-husbands, who she likes, all three of them, mm-hmm. uh, and then some that, you know, she realizes were mistakes, you know, she shouldn't have been with them. Well, if she would have listened to my father, he would say, once you finish with one, you don't go backwards. Only go forwards. And he's, <laughs> he used to say a whole lot worse, too, let me tell you. Um, so, how does she but proceed? You know, like, a, but it's like everything. If Claire did everything yeah. right, she wouldn't be a very interesting character. You know? She would so, be boring, uh, that's like, right. Yeah, and, and, you know, I always say that one of the most important parts of writing any character, but certainly when I write the Claire character, created the Claire character, is the flaws. I mean, you have to you have to get that right balance between you know people. She can't be a total screw up because people have to like her, but um, she has to have a lot of flaws. You know, the kind of flaws that you know people can look at her and think, oh my God, you know, yeah, I did something like that once or something like that, and uh, that's what I do when I when I when I create her. I I try and you know some of them are probably flaws that I've you know exhibited in my life too and uh, I just want her to be I want her to be I want her to be real but she ain't perfect before I forget uh, the broadcast for Monday has been moved to March by the request of the author I I didn't ask why I just did it Um, the 14th we have her sister's death on the 19th I'm going to attempt to do the impossible we're going to talk about grief counseling and people and the elderly that are alone. And the second half of the show is going to be talking about the economy, bank lending, bank systems, and going from one banking system to another. Yes, I have to learn all this by then. And on the 20th, I'm serious, um, the 20th, what better way to end but one of my award-winning authors, D.P. Lyle, Tallyman. And on the 4th, why not start with Vincent Gendry, and we're going to talk about Pulp Fiction and his writing, and God knows whatever else he wants to come up with. But I am totally honored. On January 26th, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child were coming on with the cabinet of Dr. Link. And that's just some of uh, January. Yeah, not bad. And you're, two, you're, getting both of the, you're getting both of them on the show, Preston and Lincoln Child? They said both, yep. Well, wow. you know they're they're very they're very entertaining together. They they do a really good uh, they got a really good act together. I've interviewed them, you know, in the past, and they're 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 interesting individually, but they're together. They're really really funny and interesting. Well, the first time Link didn't show up because um, Child said Douglas said that he didn't know what happened to him. Douglas Preston said he didn't know. So the right. second time they were both there. Always oh, hilarious. But I had to really be on my toes, let me tell you. And because they were testing me throughout the entire interview to see if I knew what I was talking about in my book. So, yeah. <laughs> and, they asked, and they asked for the interview. They sent me the book, and I go like, this book is really scary, and it's different. And it's told in two different time periods, people. The present in 1880. That's all I'll tell you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you wonder. It's different. But this got me. This was really the, the heart of it. They arrest this poor kid, Donnie. And something about his confession doesn't hold true because he gets arrested. Why does she connect his mother and what does she promise to do? Because after all, how do, how do you unfold the facts, the facts in so many different directions? And yet Claire doesn't think that this kid did it. Or did he? Yeah. Well, he's, this, is the, this is the Afghanistan, uh, the returned yeah. Afghanistan soldier I told you about. And, uh, um, you know, yeah, so Claire meets the mother, and then uh, she goes to see him in prison, and she mm. begins to realize, because she, 
I mean, the case seems very open and shut because he admits he killed her in the beginning. He tells the police, yeah, I killed her. Uh, but, you know, he's not really capable of, you know, it's kind of like they told him he did, and, you know, mm. like they found stuff of hers on him, and so, you know, like he just kind of agreed. And, uh, uh, and then when Claire goes to visit him in prison later, she, she, he's, he's much more sort of, I would say saner, but he's not as crazy. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he, then he's more saying like, well, I don't really remember what happened, but they said I killed her. So I guess I must've. And, mm. you know, she realizes, I think that, um, he's been really, uh, given a lot of drugs and antipsychotic stuff and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this has played games with his mind. And, uh, and uh, the, when she goes back to see him again, he's, he's a bit more like saner and normal because he's not on these drugs. And so, you know, all this, all this leads to her um, beginning to question, uh, you know, that he really was the one to do it. And, you know, a lot, a lot of what Claire does too is on her instincts, you know, and, her instincts tell us that this guy is not is not a killer, and uh, um, so she, you know, she goes looking for what you know what she believes is the real killer. Well, my my niece just texted me. <laughs> I I'm so oh, oh my god, I have to announce what? at the end of the uh, yeah she she's been going for respiratory therapy and she just passed her last final yay <laughs> after all this time. So I can't believe it. I'm so happy for her, which means I still have one more homework assignment. So how and why does her boss think the story about Riley is done? Susan Endicott, get your, get your life in order. And why does she decide, what does she decide to do, and why does she go to Eastern to learn more about Riley's mother? I mean, this got complicated, but it's so good. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, um um, the, well, the boss basically is just in the story for the ratings, and you know she gets big ratings for the story. And as far as she's convinced, it's over once the soldier is arrested, and you know they can move on to some other big story. Uh, and Claire, you know, like doesn't necessarily accept that. Um, and uh, you know, again, without getting into too much to plot, one of the no, developments yeah. discovers is that. Um, the mother of Riley Hunt, the one who went to work the day after she died, um, had actually gone to Easton uh, 20 years earlier, uh, but had dropped out. But had dropped out suddenly for some reason, mm. and it turns out there was some scandal involved in that. And uh, and you know she then determined finds mm. out that Riley was interested in finding out what happened to her mother 20 years ago. So there's a whole you know thing going mm. on. That goes into the into the into the past of Riley's mother that um, that may or may not have played a role in, in Riley's murder. So you know, there's just a lot of like there's a lot of stuff going on here, and so the mother becomes a fairly important character in the book as we get toward the end. And and um, you know, at some point, I think they were I think I have them from like Dayton, Ohio, or someplace where you know, which is an area where I. I I once lived, and uh, 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 so I have Claire going back to Dayton, mm. you know, to, to meet with the mother, and then eventually she gets that full st- mother's full story. But I mean, the question again is, I mean, there's a lot of things going on here, but you know, Claire has to determine if any of them played a role in in Riley Hunt's death, because you know, there's stuff happening with the mom, the police, and the mother, and all this. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that that's why Riley Hunt. Riley Hunt was involved in all this, and there's a lot of balls in the air. But you know, which one actually, which one actually resulted in someone deciding to kill Riley Hunt, and and how and why? But then you have another murder. You did get somebody else got killed off. What happens when she yeah. talks to you, Townsend, and then? And then he he's killed, and then he gets a little bit <laughs> well, more confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just I like you what? Just gave away a spoiler there, Brandon. Oh no, uh, never mind. Yeah, it, never mind. Yeah. Somebody. That was one of the questions. Okay, forget about that one. Yeah, How does yeah, she present yeah. her stories? And when things heat up, she tells the world about her mother. And how does? Why does she do that? She presented her story. 
Claire. Yeah. Well, how did you come up? How how did you come up with the twisted ending and stuff? How did you finally get it? And and how did you create Claire's reaction to being blindsided? I'm gonna smack Susan. <laughs> um, I, you know, again, uh, when I write a book like this, I have like there's about six people in the book that could have uh, could have killed Riley and for a specific reason, you know. And uh, I generally am not uh, generally am not certain which one uh, did it until I finished the book. And you know, in, in this case, without giving away the specifics, I actually originally was going to end the book with someone else killing Riley. Mm. And then I decided to add an extra twist at the end. And I really, mm. you know, when I did it, I was like, is this like, like yeah. one twist too many? And I talked about it with a couple of people. And I went, no, 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 that's good. You know, so uh, I, I tend to kind of just go with a, go with the, um, go with the story, you know, and, uh, and see, and see where it, it takes me. Uh, and, you know, like, yeah, in this case, by the time mm. you're toward the end of the book, there's a number of people that um, could have done it, and mm. um, um, I kind of go through it, and at one point, Claire thinks it's one of the people, uh, because, you know, it's not like she knows the whole time. It's mm-hmm. not like it's not like Columbo, you know, where he knows from the beginning that somebody yeah. did it. I mean, she's as confused as anybody, and then something happens at the end out of the blue, out of the blue, then she, that makes her realize, wait a minute, what what was this person doing and why? And uh, but you know, for me in writing that, um, you know, that's not like some well thought out or plotted thing. I I kind of try and do it, you know, through Claire's eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, like I go through. I go through the story at the end and then find out whatever Claire finds out, and then just kind of let let follow what where she's going and what she does and uh that's that's how we get to the end of this uh of this uh of this book like i said you know there's there's a lot of elements of this between the police and the and the um and the mob and there there's a bit mm-hmm. of uh, uh corruption involving the school taking money from the mobster there's uh there's uh, the whole background with the mother and whatever happened to her 20 years earlier at the school there's the uh there's the story of the guy coming back from Afghanistan and how screwed up he was you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of elements I put into this and uh you know which I was enjoy doing um and then you know at the end you just have to figure out well who did it you know and uh i probably could have uh done it a different way but the the way i did it was you know in the end the way i i, I thought was best so the, the funny part is that the police the the this um the police chief or detective that um if i remember correctly is not crazy about that she does this also, and then when I read, you know, Donnie and his confession and said, and I watch all these uh, murder programs and Secrets Uncovered and FBI and all the rest of it, and I watch how the police question these people, and they sort of blindside them by trying to trick them into admitting that they're guilty or thinking right. that they're guilty, even though it's scary. And I think that's what happened to Donnie, too, because somebody just like sort of like, you're guilty, and that's just the way it is. People, you've got to really listen to when they're trying to, to trick you. So, th- Well, th- if, you're, if you're applauded to start with, and, you know, yeah, like, so right. somebody is, if somebody has, like, if, if somebody is, you know, mentally disabled or something, it's one thing. But in Donnie's case, uh, he um, he's sympathetic because the reason he is not normal is because of what he did for his country. You know, he went to Afghanistan. He was injured in a blast, and it 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 affected him to the point where he couldn't you know he couldn't function anymore. So, you know, we we have a lot of sympathy for him, and uh, uh, he's not really he's you know he's not really capable of of standing up, you know, and yeah, that's mm. basically, you know, what happens if somebody says to him, you killed that girl, uh, his response isn't, no, I didn't. It's, well, if you said I did, maybe I did, because he has killed people. He's got all this guilt and everything over what happened in Afghanistan. 
And uh, so when he finds himself next to a body, it's not a leap for him to think, oh, I must have killed her because he has like a lot of blackouts and stuff. So this isn't a a situation in which, you know, Mm. you have an innocent person proclaiming their, 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 their innocence. He's not saying I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. And Claire, he, he he admits it in the beginning. He confesses because he thinks he probably did do it. He doesn't know. And that kind of makes it a little harder for Claire because, you know, she doesn't even have somebody who's saying he didn't do it. She's got somebody who thinks he did it, but she's not convinced he did it. So the epilogue leaves us wondering, is this over? And what's next for Claire? Uh, The epilogue involving her personal life or? Yeah, whichever one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a romance in this uh, there's a romance in this book. It's a fairly substantial romance that goes on throughout the book, and um, she uh, um, she finds out things about her the guy she's seeing that she didn't know that uh, upset her greatly, and um, you know are are somewhat linked to the story, and um, at the end of the book. Um, she's left with a lot of emotions, uh, one of which is she feels um, kind of used by this guy. Uh, she feels that she was kind mm-hmm. of like taken by him and betrayed. Uh, but on the other hand, she was attracted to him, and she's kind of mad at him and mad at herself. And so, um, you know, it's kind of left a little, uh, like like with most of the books, uh, the romantic life does not... Um, there's not a happy ending. She, she, they, it's a kind of an ongoing uh, thing in mm. her romantic life, and and you know to some degree that's important because uh, you know like if she met somebody and settled down and was happily married uh, again, that would hurt the character. You know that's you know in terms of making. I mean, it'd be good for her, but <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know part of her character is like you know always you know being with. With you know, like you know, with different guys, and it's like TV shows or something. When somebody gets settles down, it's happy. They become much less, you know, much less interesting, you know. Um, and uh, so the romances in her life play a big play a big part in it. But it's a it's like um, you know, as you know, uh, the romance in this one uh, is mm. pretty serious and plays a big plays a big role in the book. Well, I think that the best just. <clears throat> reward to to get even with Susan Endicott would be to you to create a love interest and Claire takes him away from her. Takes away from Susan Endicott, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but Susan Endicott really, is not a very romantic person. She's uh, I, I, I have to a kind of drab, plain person who doesn't seem to have Poor much thing. She's got no life. That's why she's so evil. So, so, <laughs> so I would say, I would say, I don't think the same kind of man would go for both Claire and Susan Endicott. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I would love to see Claire outfox her on a story. If she ever tried to go on the air, Susan Endicott, I would like to see Claire wipe the floor with her if they did a slow together. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Well, you so, know the other character that you haven't yeah. that you haven't talked about, and we've talked about other times, and uh, I just want to mention her because she's actually an important part. Oh, Jane of Wood, Janet Wood, Janet Wood. Yeah. So, so Claire has a best friend, and and one of the things, and and, um, and Janet is kind of like the anti Claire. In other words, she's very sane, yeah. she's rational, she's got a like a normal family, uh, and she's kind of like Claire's conscience. And um, you know, I've, I've I've said that when I wrote the first Claire book back like five years ago, or whatever. Um, you know, I I I put the Janet Wood character in there as somebody like a friend to talk to, and I kind of thought it would just be like a one-time thing, like she was talking to a friend of hers about something mm. and it. But um, I began to like the dynamic so much that I you know I kept her, and she's in every book, and. Uh, you know, again, I think I, I find um, I find her a real balance to Claire, you know, because uh, she's got a lot of the things that Claire doesn't have, and yet I think Claire is interesting to her because Claire is so kind of, you know, erratic and wild, and this part of Janet probably really envies Claire's life, too. And so the two of them are best friends, and, um, you know, it's an opportunity for 
Claire to like discuss a lot of things woman to woman with someone who is relatively sane and that is and that's Janet. And Janet is very smart, she's like aware and very good. And most of all she tolerates all, you know, Claire's craziness, although she's not you know, she's not she's not beyond telling Claire that's crazy, Claire, you're out of your mind. So, you know, anyway, I like I like that dynamic a lot and, and again Janet is you know, she's a big part of all the books, including the Yeah, so she, before I forget, it was not my question thing. I just looked at it. So how come she introduced her to this guy and Claire knew that something from the beginning wasn't right? It's kind of strange. Uh, it was a friend of a friend. Uh, I explained. Yeah. Claire, it's, it's like uh, Claire, uh, she says that somebody had approached her and said they had a friend of a friend, this Claire one of yeah. And so, so Janet really didn't have any firsthand knowledge about this. She was just like, hey, you want to be a guy? And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, she, and Janet's always trying to find some guy for Claire, so they fix her up. So, uh, like, yeah, no, Janet didn't know the guy. She knew somebody who, 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 who knew somebody who did. So it was, it was, they were, it was separated by a but no, Janet was the one who originally had, had fixed her up with the with the guy in the book. But if, if you've read the books, you know that Janet is constantly fixing her up. And in fact, and in fact, the reason uh, Claire even goes out with this guy in the book, and she says it, she said, "I'm only doing this to keep Janet off my back. We'll have a cup of coffee. We'll be done with it, and then I can tell yeah. Janet I've seen you." You know, because uh, Janet is always trying to uh, try to you know have her meet somebody. So where do we find all of you? And when am I getting the next book? And when are you reading the next Dana Perry and the other one? Well, you know, it's going to be a little while now. Uh, I've got I've got like four books in the works, but um, uh, the next uh, the next Claire book uh, I just finished it um, a few weeks ago, about a month or two ago, and you know, and turned it in. Uh, and that's called that's going to be called Broadcast Blues, uh, and it's about. Uh, about the murder of a um, controversial former woman, New York City policewoman, Karen Private Eye, and uh, you know it gets again into a lot of stuff involving police corruption and, mm. and political scandals and things like that. And uh, you know, Claire's in it, Susan Endicott is in it, and uh, uh, that will be out in uh, January of 2024. So I don't Ooh. know when it'll be available, but you know, it's done. It's just not been edited or anything, and and. It's going to come out in January 2024. And then um, the other thing that I'm working on, you know, is uh, I'm doing a new series as Dana Perry. um, And it's, it's, you know, I'll be talking more about this as we get closer, but it's it's an interesting concept. It's it's put up in this company, Picture in England, which is big big online company and um, they're going to uh, it's, uh, I've written one book I'm in the middle of the second book and it's a third book on under contract and it's going to mm. be a three part three books three thrillers involving a female FBI agent named Vicky Chassidy and the interesting thing about this is um, all books all three books are going to be released simultaneously, simultaneously. Um, and the idea is that you know like you you read one book and then you don't have to mm-hmm. wait a year for the second book you then going to read the second book and the third book and I've never done anything like this I've never heard of it people at Oak are very very savvy very shrewd and you know they they think it's like a really good marketing idea so the idea would be uh, all three of these books would be released simultaneously probably in the spring of 2024. So I'm uh, I'm midway through writing them right now. I'm like I said, I've I've written the first one uh, called the Nowhere Girls, and then I'm in the middle of the second one now, and then I have to write a third one. So uh, so I'll be very there'll be a lot of books out for me in early 2024. But uh, right now this is the last book that you'll see from me probably for about a year, and then there'll be a, a rush of books in 2024. Well, I know if the book is coming out in January 2024, and I know it will be printed out before because I've got a whole bunch from August 2023 already. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah they they, yeah. they send well, them to me, and, and I'm really glad because the post office is really getting on my nerves. They're not sending the books out. And thank God HarperCollins sent me a, Jan, a Jacqueline Winspear's The White Lady, 
and that's coming out in March, and I'm halfway through it. And John Dob um, John Dobbins' book just came to me. Oh uh, yeah, it's really good, and I'm waiting for him to get an, uh, to confirm an interview for August. But this has been fun, and I, I'm so excited that you're going to be coming on the panel on February 20th. This is going to be an original panel of a topic that we never did before. We're going to talk about what, who do you write like and what's your style. But thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll be on the show but way before that. Everybody, right. it's a beautiful day. Have a great day, and bye. Thank you, Brad. Bye-bye.